John chapter 20, verse, John chapter 20, verse number one, and we're going to read down through verse number 18 today. John chapter 20, verse number one, we'll read down through verse 18. The Bible says, now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This is God's word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. The title of the message today is, His Resurrection Matters. His Resurrection Matters matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the passage of scripture leading up to this triumphant climax. And we pray today that you would fill me with your spirit. Help me as I preach your word, Lord. And I pray that those who would hear it would apply it to their hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you travel to the Middle East to the city of Mecca, you will find there a tomb with Muhammad buried in it. And thousands of Muslims around the year, uh, around the globe, make a pilgrimage at least once in their lifetime to go see the tomb of Muhammad. If you go to the province of Jinchuan County in China, you will find there the tomb of the Buddha. And many people will, again, make pilgrimages throughout the year to see the bones in the tomb of the Buddha. If you go to the city of Nauvoo in Illinois, you will find there the tomb of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. I don't know if there are people that make pilgrimages to 
Joseph Smith's tomb, but there Joseph Smith lies. But if you go to a garden tomb right outside the city of Jerusalem to this day, there is a tomb that is famous not for the person that holds the burial spot in it, but because there is nobody buried there today. Jesus has risen again. The, the main idea, of course, of this passage is that Jesus shows himself alive to, first of all, a grief-stricken woman. And so I say to you this morning, the resurrection matters not just for everybody in the world, but the resurrection matters to you. The resurrection matters to every single one in the world. I want us to look this morning at three reasons why the resurrection matters. Okay, Pastor Aaron, there's an empty tomb in the city, outside the city of Jerusalem. What significance does that hold to me? Could we not explain away this empty tomb? Was there really somebody actually buried there? Was there actually somebody that rose from the dead there? Did we get the tomb wrong? All kinds of theories have been proposed about why there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem, but I'm here to tell you that the fact of the matter is this, the resurrection matters for these three reasons. Let's look at them together with us, uh, with me today, if you will. Number one, I see this, the resurrection matters because it is ordinarily impossible. The resurrection is ordinarily impossible. We don't find resurrection accounts or people rising from the dead regularly. We find somebody that is buried, that is in their gravestone, that has the gravestone put on top of them, and there they lie for permanent, forever. We don't rent tombstones. We don't find tombstones on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace that say, tombstone for sale, gently used. <laughs> you buy tombs and mausoleums and tombstones for a permanent reason. The resurrection is remarkable. It is significant because, first of all, it is ordinarily impossible. Resurrections don't happen every day, folks. The, the Bible says in verse number one, now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This in itself was a remarkable occurrence. Why? Because the Gospel of Matthew tells us that there was a squad of soldiers, a detachment of troops sent out by Pilate to secure the grave of Jesus. The Jews knew that Jesus had predicted that Jesus would rise from the dead after three days. And so in order for them to prevent that from happening, in order for them to prevent the body being stolen, they would put a detachment of soldiers to guard the tomb. Matthew set, records an earthquake that's happened. He records a great light that shines. He records the soldiers falling to the ground as dead men. And Mary comes, and John leaves out that part of the narrative, but Mary comes in the, in the Gospel of John, and Mary comes to the tomb and finds that the stone has been rolled away. Could you imagine? Many of you have buried a loved one. You've had the funeral. You've had the procession. You've lowered the casket into the grave, and perhaps sometime later you come to the grave again to put flowers there, and you find that there is a hole 
where the grave of your loved one was? What is your first thought? What has happened here? Has somebody taken the body and moved it? Has somebody robbed the grave? Has somebody taken the body of or, or, or the remains of my loved one and have, what have they done with it? Have they desecrated them? You see, it would have been common in those days for grave robbers to loot the graves of royalty. We find this all the time in ancient, uh, ancient Egypt. We find this in, in parts of the, the royal parts of Mexico where the Aztecs uh, buried their dead as well. We find all of these grave robbers made it to the grave to loot the grave so that, and, the, and they would toss aside the body as if it did not matter. The stone was rolled away. The first assumption was that the grave had been robbed, but Mary Magdalene and the disciples did not remember the words that the Jewish Sanhedrin remembered. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Matthew chapter 20, verse 18, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day, he will rise again. Jesus has told them this from the start. Jesus is constantly reminding the disciples, guys, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to rise again. And the disciples, as is the the common thing with the disciples, they forget Jesus' words. Oh, how often do we forget the words of Jesus? How often do we have to have reminders from from the scriptures, from songs, from God, from the Holy Spirit prompting our hearts, don't you remember what I said to you? Don't you remember the words that you grew up hearing? Don't you remember the words of comfort, the words of wisdom, the words of conviction that you need at such a time as this? And yet the disciples forgot. Perhaps you're here this morning and it's the first time you've been in church for a very long time and you just need a reminder. You just need a reminder of the words of Jesus that Jesus has risen again and that you can have a home in heaven for sure for all eternity. I don't know what struggle you are going through this morning. Perhaps it's with your salvation. Perhaps it's with a different trial. But perhaps you've forgotten the words of Jesus just as the disciples forgot the words of Jesus here. And they need a reminder. We see also that While the resurrection was ordinarily impossible, we can see in verse number six that this was no robbery. In verse number six, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Why does John record this little detail here? John and Peter get to the tomb and they run in and John is very almost comically recording that he got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. He doesn't name himself, but we know that John just might have chuckled to himself saying, I beat Peter to the tomb. I was the one that saw it first. 
And yet we find Peter running headlong into the tomb and he sees the linen clothes lying there where they had bound Jesus and anointed him with the perfumes and the ointments which we saw last week. Why does John record that the linen cloths were lying here? It is not contrary to popular belief. It is not for the reason that Jesus folded the napkin in a way to signify that he was coming back again. I don't think that that's the case here. I think that John has recorded this little detail to tell us that this was no grave robbery. You see, a grave robber would not have taken the trouble to slowly unwrap the body and put aside the linen cloths. They would have taken the body, all of it, and they would have thrown the body and linen cloths away somewhere far away from the gravesite. They would not have taken they would not have taken the care to unwrap the body carefully. John's purpose of recording this little detail for us today is to show us this. This was not a grave robbery. Jesus actually rose from the dead. His ultimate purpose for writing this gospel, remember this, is is recorded in chapter uh, 21. These things that he has written so that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. He tells us at the end of his book that many things that Jesus, in, in fact, in verse 30, it says, truly, Jesus did many other, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John's reason for recording every detail in his gospel is so that you might believe. There have been theories throughout history to try to explain the empty tomb. Maybe the disciples got the wrong tomb. Maybe the soldiers were guarding the wrong tomb. Maybe Jesus didn't actually die. Maybe he swooned, as one theory has put it. Maybe the disciples stole the body after the crucifixion. There have been countless theories about how Jesus might have pulled this off, but the only explanation that makes any sense of all of the historical facts is this, my friends, Jesus actually rose from the dead. The resurrection is ordinarily impossible, but the second thing I want us to see is this, the resurrection is eternally significant. The resurrection is eternally significant. This was, sure, a miracle. This was an unusual happening. This was something that Nobody had seen every day, but there was something different about this resurrection. We see several different resurrections recorded throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. We find that a man uh, was, re- was resurrected when he touched the bones of Elisha in the Old Testament. We find that Elijah, or I'm sorry, Elisha resurrected the son of a widow in the Old Testament. We find Lazarus being raised from the dead, of course, in John chapter 11. We find um, a couple other resurrections in the Bible, but there's something different about the resurrection of Jesus. And the difference is this. Jesus was really who he claimed to be. Jesus was the only man that was crucified and resurrected that was also fully God. Jesus is both fully man and he is fully God. How to explain that? I do not know. I only know what the Bible says, and that is this, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why is the resurrection significant? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that if Christ did not rise, we are of all men most 
miserable. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Henry Morris said this, the bodily resurrection of Christ is the crowning proof of Christianity. The resurrection is eternally significant. I want you to see a few prophecies that he fulfilled as well. Not only did Jesus predict his own crucifixion and burial and resurrection, but there are at least three different Old Testament prophecies that he fulfills. Psalm 16 verse 10 says, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Isaiah 53 10 says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, clearly pointing to a resurrection. In Hosea chapter 6, 1 and 2, the resurrection is alluded to, come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. The resurrection fulfills Old Testament prophecy. The resurrection proves that Jesus is God. Romans chapter one, verse four says, he declared him to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Not only has John demonstrated to us that Jesus is God with the seven signs that are in the book of John and the seven I am statements in the book of John, but the, the coup de grace, so to speak, the climax, the ultimate proof that Jesus actually was who he said he was is the resurrection from the dead. You see, it is one thing for Jesus to resurrect Lazarus. It is an entire other thing for Jesus to resurrect himself. Jesus actually died. He was actually buried, and he actually rose again. Jesus, my friends, is very God. And the resurrection also proves that we will one day rise as well. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he also lives to make intercession for them. Oh, my friends, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. You see, the resurrection did not just happen to Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus demonstrates to us the already but not yet component of our salvation. You see, we were dead in sins and trespasses, and we received Christ, if you have trusted him as your Savior this morning, and our dead, our dead sinful nature was put under the blood, under the mercy seat. It was sprinkled upon and made full atonement for with the blood of Jesus Christ. And we will one day rise again. Why? Because Jesus rose first. And at the last day in the book of Revelation, the graves will be opened. One day they're going to bury my body. One day I'm going to die. If Jesus does not come back, they're going to put my body in the grave and it will not stay there, my friends, because at the last day when the trumpet sounds, my body will rise up to meet my soul in the air and forever I will be with the Lord. I hope that is your testimony today. Jesus' resurrection matters, not because it was just a 
anomaly in history. It matters not because it was just Jesus that rose again, but it matters because we will one day rise with him. The resurrection is ordinarily impossible. The resurrection is eternally significant. But finally, I want us to see this morning, the resurrection is personally effective. Look at verse number 11. After all the disciples had gone away into their own homes, we come to this broken woman. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside by the temple, uh, I'm sorry, by the tomb, weeping. Who was Mary Magdalene? We don't know much about her. Pop culture would have us believe certain things if you've seen certain, if you've seen certain movies or read different novels. The fact is, though, that the Bible doesn't really reveal much about Mary Magdalene, but we do know this. We know that in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. Mary Magdalene was a broken woman. She, being possessed by seven demons, no doubt had a very rough life. We do not know how long the demons tormented her, but we do know that Jesus cast them out, and so Jesus cares about her individually. Jesus didn't appear to a wide crowd at first. He did not appear to thousands and thousands of people. No, he comes back to the tomb where he knew a mourning Mary would be, and he first appears to a poor Jewish woman who is grieving that she has lost her Messiah. We don't know if it was because of a sinful lifestyle that opened Mary up to these demons. We don't know the unfortunate circumstances, but none of this fazed Jesus. Nobody is too far gone for Jesus to help them. An unstable, uh, erratic, a, a violent or sinful person, could you imagine trying to deal with somebody who had seven demons in her? trying to control the behavior, trying to restrain her, because no doubt she had great strength, as did the, as did the maniac of Gadara that, that is recorded in another gospel. Mary Magdalene was in rough shape. But yet, how many of us were in rough shape when Jesus found us? You may not have had seven demons in you, but you may have had seven deadly sins that you were enslaved to. You had your own demons, you had your own sins, you had your own habits, and Jesus still saw you from eternity past. He goes to the cross for you, and he rises from the dead for you to forgive you and rescue you from those sins that you are so enslaved to. Mary is every one of us today. There is no sin too great, there is no person too lost, there is no cause too gone that Jesus will not forgive and save. Mary is also all alone. The disciples have all gone home. They leave her behind. She's there at the tomb. It's been opened. As far as she can tell, it's been defiled, desecrated. Somebody has defiled the grave of her Messiah. And think about her state of mind. She has just lost everything that she knows and loves. She wants to come. She wants to pay a final respect to her Messiah. She wants to anoint his body with the oils that she has brought. 
no doubt spending some money to anoint her body, his body. She wants to think about previous happy memories over the previous three years, and what does she find? She finds an empty, open tomb, gaping at her like an open sore. And she's frantic. She, in fact, she comes to the same conclusion that we might if we were in her place. In verses 2, 13, and 15, she is uh, saying that someone has stolen the body, and she is discouraged. She's depressed at this point. The disciples have all left her, and she's there weeping. If the disciples had just stayed behind for a few more moments, they might have seen Jesus as well. But Mary stays behind, and in verse number 16, verse number 15, I'm sorry, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? The book of John bookends so beautifully. We find in chapter one, Jesus turns to Philip and Andrew and says, who are you seeking? What are you looking for? Jesus asks the same question to Judas in the garden. Judas, who are you looking for? Jesus asks the same question to Mary at this point. Mary, who are you looking for? And of course, the answer is the same. Chapter one, they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for the Messiah. When Jesus is betrayed in the garden, Judas is looking for Jesus, but he's not really seeking Jesus, is he? And you find Mary again, a broken-hearted person that already has believed in Jesus, but is just looking for another last memory of her Savior. And he says, Mary, who are you looking for? She says, if you've taken him, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus says to her, Mary, Jesus calls you by name this morning. Jesus just doesn't call the entire world to repentance. He doesn't just call the general populace of the United States to repentance and acceptance. No, he calls you by name. He knows you. He knows me. He knows the very number of the hairs on all, uh, all of the hairs on your head or number the book of uh, Proverbs says to us. Jesus knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows exactly what your stage of life is is John chapter 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus knows you. The resurrection is eternally significant. It's ordinarily impossible. Jesus presents himself to a broken woman, but if that's where the story ended. We would not be doing the gospel justice this morning because finally I see that Mary had a personal testimony. Verse number 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Have you seen the Lord? We may not see him bodily today, but you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you if I have opened to you the scriptures this morning. You know that in every sermon that is, that is listened to, you know that in every scripture that is read, you know that Jesus is speaking to you. And my friend, my question to you is this, do you have a personal testimony just as Mary Magdalene had? 
Just as Mary personally believed on Jesus, just as he, she had uh, personally invited Jesus to, into her life, just as she had personally followed Jesus for those three years, and she had personally went to the tomb that morning to anoint the body of Jesus, do you have a personal testimony? Or is your faith dependent on somebody else? My friend, that will not do. Because at the last judgment, when everybody is standing before the judgment seat before Jesus, you will not answer Jesus in this way. You will not say, well, my father was a Christian, and so I ought to be a Christian as well. Or my mother was a Christian, and she prayed for me, so you ought to let me into the pearly gates. Or my grandmother was a Christian, and her faith is good enough for me. No, my friend, your faith must be personal to you. The resurrection is personally effective. And 2,000 years later, the resurrection was personally effective for me as well. When I was seven years old, I've told this story often, I also asked, what does Jesus' resurrection mean for me? And my father showed me the Bible verses similar to what I've just shown you, that Jesus died for my sins, that he was buried for my sins, and that he rose again for my sins. And if I accepted Jesus' sacrifice and what he did for me, then my sins would be forgiven as well. My friend, do you have a story like that this morning? Have you believed in Jesus? The resurrection is ordinarily impossible. It is eternally significant, but it is also personally effective. Ancient Egyptian tombs, I'm fascinated with ancient Egyptian history, but ancient Egyptian tombs and probably the most famous archaeological discovery in Egyptian history, perhaps the world, is that in November of 1922, an archaeologist named Howard Carter and his men discovered the tomb of the boy king who we know as King Tut. King Tut was a young pharaoh he unexpectedly died. All evidences show that he was hurried, kind of hurriedly buried. And for many years, archaeologists have sought in vain to try to obtain a tomb of a pharaoh that still had the mummy in there. Because as I have told you earlier today, most graves were robbed very soon after the people were buried in them. But for some reason, King Tut's tomb went untouched for 3,000 years. And in 1922, it was discovered with all of the possessions, all of the riches, all of the gold, and most importantly, the body of the Pharaoh himself. You can go see the mummy in Cairo today. He is still there. But of course, you know the point that I'm making to you today is this. The tomb that is outside of Jerusalem is famous, and it is prized, and it is cherished, not because there's somebody still there. But it is prized, it is cherished, and it is wept over because the tomb is empty today. Jesus, my friends, has risen from the dead. Will you make that personally effective in your life this morning? Let's go to the Lord in prayer today.